This is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each episode, we explore love and sex by asking a single question. To find the answers, we ask experts and listeners like you. This episode contains explicit material. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kolodny. Hey kids, let's sing that song you like, the one about the sugar cane. Okay! This week's question is, what does it take to be a sugar baby, sugar daddy, or sugar mama? Before we get started, we should probably begin with the origin of sugar daddies and sugar babies. Everyone is probably familiar with the term sugar daddy, usually understood to mean a wealthy older man in a relationship with a much more attractive and often much younger woman. It's clear in these relationships that there's some sort of exchange happening, but the exact terms of that exchange have usually been nuanced and undefined. But with online dating, we've seen the formalization of sugar dating, which is when younger women, and sometimes men, sign up on a dating site that specifically pairs them with potential sugar daddies. And the younger counterpart in these relationships are known as sugar babies. Sex work is a profession as old as time, and sugar dating seems like a pretty natural extension of commoditized relationships that were happening all the way back to the Greco-Roman age, probably even before, or that's my guess. Now, any thoughts on where the term actually comes from? Well, Karina, according to the Loveland Reporter Herald, my second favorite online news source after the Huffington Post. In 1908, Adolf Spreckles, that's his real name, the heir to the Spreckles sugar fortune, married a woman 24 years younger than him, and she called him her sugar daddy. The Atlantic recently published an article titled Where the Sugar Babies Are, and the data clearly shows an increase of babies at colleges and universities in New York, Atlanta, and Texas. Why is this arrangement on the rise, and what's the line between being a sugar baby and being an escort? We'll be speaking with a sociologist, two women who are documenting the sugar dating lifestyle, the founder and CEO of multiple websites that cater to sugar babies and sugar daddies, and an actual sugar baby to find out. So let's do this. C and H, the pure cane sugar from Hawaii. Well, my name's Tess, and I'm on the road right now. I'm traveling, but I've been living in San Francisco, writing my book and working as a sugar pet or sugar baby, as a lot of people like to say. (laughs) We met Tess through a mutual friend and really enjoyed her perspective, mostly because she was frank and upfront about what she did and what exactly it entailed. Well, I became a sugar baby. Uh, yeah, originally I very much was a sugar baby. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, and I was just thinking, well, I have a lot of sex. I may as well get paid for it. And this was right after I graduated from college and just needed some cash because, I mean, you know, all the millennials graduating from college with tons of student loans and no marketable skills. So um, that was sort of my initial getting my feet wet. And over time, I feel like I've evolved into the sugar cunt I am today. Um, my relationships have improved in general. And uh, initially when I started, I didn't have any kind of screening process. It was just sort of the same way I approached any other kind of dating, which was, I guess, a shotgun <laughs> blast. Just like, yeah, whatever. I'll meet anyone. And, like, they're paying me, so it doesn't matter what I feel about them, which just blew up in my, not blew up in my face, but I just didn't enjoy what I was doing. I just hated every minute that I spent with these people because I didn't like them. Um, my first date was with this guy. I mean, I don't know. It was pretty unremarkable. It was just 
a guy who was pretty insecure that wanted to pay someone to bone him. <laughs> it was a, uh, it was just, it was pretty boring, and, and I don't know, I didn't really enjoy it the first couple times. What would you say? Is there a typical date? Or does the date depend on the sugar daddy, or, or how does that work? Can you give us an idea, sort of, what a date might be like? Sure. Well, my dates right now are fairly formulaic. Like, I don't, um, I don't spend too much time going back and forth with messages. Uh, I don't like all the pointless texting and pictures that a lot of guys want to start doing. And in exactly the same way when you start dating, you know, like if you meet someone off OkCupid, okay, they're just like oh, let me talk to you for three days and then not set up a drink date and also send you dick pics. And it's just like, oh, my God. But um, so I like to set a firm date um, quickly so that we can just meet in person and see if we have chemistry. So first dates are I, – I tend to direct them. I like to um, – I just like – I ask a lot of getting-to-know-you questions. You know, why are you on the site? How long have you been on it? It's nice to get those factual things just because it, it helps um, get guys talking and get them comfortable. And usually that's when they start opening up about really why they're on the site, like why they're trying to pay someone to date them as opposed to, you know, going and dating someone. Um, and then once we sort of build a little bit of rapport and see if we think we'll get along, um, that's pretty much the first date, you know, kiss at the end. It's pretty, it's pretty standard first date for anybody. Um, I think just getting to know each other and seeing if, you know, what's like dogs sniffing each other's butts and seeing if you guys like each other's smell. And then the second date sometimes happens like right afterwards, depending because a lot of the married guys only have so much time. So it's like, well, we'll spend an hour lunch and then if we like each other, like we'll just get a hotel room. Um, because the second date's usually the one where it's just like, okay, we'll just go straight to it and start the physical relationship. And then it's funny because after, you know, we have sex, it's the pillow talk happens and then they tend to open up more. And that's when I, my therapist hat comes on, which is really, you know, my bread and butter. I mean, I majored in psychology at Princeton. So I just, <laughs> that's my favorite part. What may surprise many people is how educated the majority of sugar babies actually are. Carly Sortino, who's behind the popular Slut Ever blog, has chronicled the experiences of sugar babies for Vice's Munchies site. The biggest site is SeekingArrangement.com, which has by far the most people on the website. Um, The numbers are really crazy. There was actually this article semi-recently in The Atlantic called Where the Sugar Babies Are, and it had all these statistics about what universities have the most, what states have the most, and it was something insane. Like um, NYU was the first college to have over a 1,000 of its female students on the website and which I worked out because I looked up the number of female students at NYU means that one in every 25 female students at NYU is actually on seeking arrangement which is pretty insane it's not a tragic situation these are usually well-educated middle or upper middle class women who are paying insane amounts of money for their tuition or are living in major cities where the cost of living is really high and it's like why would I work at a coffee shop and make $11 an hour or whatever or when I could just sleep with someone who's not that bad and make $800? It's like we all sleep with people that we kind of don't like that much. You might as well get paid for it. And, you know, that's the mentality, and I really understand that. One of the first women I ever interviewed, the one who had this sort of really crazy, glamorous, extended sugar baby lifestyle, 
you know, she's like, all these young college girls are getting on the site and they're driving down the market because they think that $300 is a lot of money. They're 18 and then they have sex with people for $300 and they don't understand that they're driving the market down because you, she's like, you really, we want to be getting upwards of five, six, $700 for sex with somebody. And if these guys who have been paying that much now can go and meet a college girl who sort of doesn't understand her worth or what the going rates are, sleeps with these guys for 300 bucks, then it's going to ruin it for everyone. We also spoke with a recent Princeton graduate who was intrigued when more and more of her former classmates began dabbling in sugar dating. So she started documenting their experiences. Uh, my name is Parinda. Um, I'm a freelancer. I'm a documentarian and multimedia artist living in New York. Parinda has been working on a film called Daddy's Date Babies. He's like a person of power. And I look up and it's this like 60 or like 70 year old old white dude. He was really fucking scary. He creeps me out. He like tried to brainwash me. He has like some missing teeth. He likes to like go to Japan and like find small he had me insert like a metal thing like into his urethra. So fucked up. He got out, I started crying, but I didn't say I think I got raped. It's time for things to change. Like my life needs to change. The trailer for the film comes across as pretty dark, and it features Tess, who we spoke with earlier. However, Perinda doesn't seem to think of sugar dating as inherently negative or positive. I talked to, um, in total, about 10 women. But eventually I cut down to five or four women to focus on for the documentary, just for the sake of, you know, story. And their experiences definitely range from um, unimaginably positive to depressingly <laughs> negative. The, the positive ones, um, for example, the sugar daddy can become an investor in, like, the sugar baby's uh, startup. Um, or become like a lifelong mentor. The negative one is someone who promised to pay the sugar baby and eventually doesn't pay, um, saying, oh, I'm having some financial difficulty too, which <laughs> like, um, is very unfortunate. You are definitely taking a risk, but it's kind of like a high risk, high return <laughs> kind of um, activity. I, I know some some of my um, subjects got flown all over, and sometimes she shows up, and the 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 person was really nice. Sometimes the person asked her to do weird things that she she didn't expect before. Um, she kind of have to make the decision on the spot like if she would be willing to do this and if not like how does she get back <laughs> yeah you're listening to the huff post to love and sex podcast coming up you'll hear from the founder and ceo of the leading sugar baby website and learn about the dangers of being a sugar baby if you haven't had a chance to find HuffPost Love and Sex on iTunes, take a moment to subscribe, rate the show, and let us know what you think. You can also find us on Twitter using the handle at HuffPostPodcast, or send us an email. Our email address is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. We love hearing feedback and ideas from our listeners, so long as it's good and nice and flattering. In fact, our next episode was inspired by an email we received after our last episode. It's about open relationships, and you won't want to miss it. During our conversations with Tess, Carly, and Perinda, 
we heard about a variety of different sugar dating arrangements. Yeah, we did, including a daddy giving what basically equates to a monthly allowance with the expectation of having a sugar baby on call whenever he needs him or her. A sugar daddy flying a sugar baby to a destination for a weekend or more for several dates. A sugar daddy offering a price for a single encounter or an a la carte experience. A sugar daddy who just wanted to talk on the phone, not even have phone sex, just just chat. At this point, we're not really sure where you draw the line between sugar dating and being an escort. So we're going to default to an expert for some insight. Uh, So I'm Dr. Christian Grove. I'm an associate professor of public health at Brooklyn College. So to start just real generally, can you talk a little bit about the difference between a sugar baby, an escort, and a prostitute? as you see it? Sure. So, you know, there's the entire continuum of sex work. And um, I would say sugar babies probably fall just outside of that continuum where um, they would probably not consider themselves part of a sex work, you know, arrangement at all. Um, And, you know, so it all falls under the umbrella of sex work, but this is the one thing that would probably sit just outside of it. There are a number of um, escorts who have become sugar babies or escorts who may have a particularly financial lucrative relationship with one client um, but still may escort on the side but that is just one type of you know kept person or sugar baby or whatever term you want to use and then you just just may have someone who um, just is in a financial relationship with someone you know uh, and there's maybe an age dynamic and a financial dynamic as well, who have may not have any experience whatsoever in the other realms of sex work. Christian might see sugar dating as outside of the sex work umbrella, but Tess, our sugar baby, doesn't. What would you say the difference between being a sugar baby and being an escort is? I don't really see a difference between um, sugar dating and escort work and prostitution. I mean, Sex work in general, I don't know. I, I think I think that um, our culture is already such a – it's commoditized everything already. So it's impossible to pretty much do anything without being a whore in one way or another. Like selling your – I mean, you're selling your integrity every time you go to McDonald's because of the way that they slaughter the meat there, you know? And I guess I just – you know, it's a little bit more upfront with – sex work, the idea that you're giving dollars for sexual pleasure in some way. Um, The thing about sugar dating is that it's truly dating most of the time. Like, I mean, it's just, it has a different name because it's just a different thing. People are paying for time and attention more than just sex. Um, But I think it's just, I think it's a distinction without a difference. But you would say, though, that, you know, obviously there's a sexual component to it, but you would also emphasize that there is an emotional or, um, you know, that that's part of it as well. I would say that sugar dating is simply a name for a longer type of beneficial relationship or a relationship where you're getting like a material thing out of it. Um, it's, I mean, it's like a girlfriend experience. If you ever watch the secret life of a call girl or something, it's like a girlfriend experience, you know, someone that you see regularly that you form a bond with. 
that also pays you money. A sugar baby is probably going to have a lot more intimate of a relationship with, you know, their daddy, or I don't know what, I don't know what's the best term. I usually refer to clients, but I don't think that a sugar baby would refer to their, you know, financer as, you know, a client, for instance. Uh, with an escort, it's maybe a discreet encounter that um, may have a time limit on it. Uh, and, you know, with escorting, you're not paying someone to have sex with you. You're paying someone to leave when the sex is over. And um, you're not going to be dating this person or investing a large amount of time in them. But that's not to suggest that clients don't develop meaningful relationships with their escorts over time. Um, but it, there, but there's many of the emotional aspects of that relationship would be different in an escorting encounter as opposed to a sugar baby, sugar daddy relationship. At this point, I feel like we have a pretty clear understanding of what it entails to be a sugar baby. But what about sugar daddies? I don't think that all sugar daddies are rich old guys who can't get dates. I also think the other side of the stereotype is that they're these rich, exploitative older men take advantage, taking advantage of these young girls. I think they're really across the board. I mean, it's sad, but from the girls I've interviewed, what they always say is that the quote-unquote best guys are the married ones, you know, the most attractive, nicest guys, because of course there's a reason why they're on the site. You know what I mean? They're married, they're looking to have an affair, and so there's nothing wrong with those guys. I mean, they're cheating on the rest, but I mean... If a guy is single and 45 and looking to pay someone for sex, maybe there is a reason why that is. I mean, then there's a ton of reasons why it could be. It's because you don't want you're not looking for a relationship um, because they want sex to be casual because they have a fetish or they're turned on by the exchange of money um, because they want a better caliber of girl than they can get by going out to a bar or Sometimes it's just easier, you know, if you don't want to put the effort in to go out to a bar and find a girl and you know you can have someone come over to your house if you give them money and $500 or $1,000 isn't a lot to you, then, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons. There definitely isn't, I don't think that the pool is of men is sad or gross in any way. I think they're, I would say, sadly, the most attractive, nice guys on the site are probably married and are looking for a covert affair. Test can confirm Carly's observation. There are lots of married sugar daddies. Well, my experience lately with sugar daddies has been that they're older men, not rich, but established, like definitely wealthy, like just have a nest egg that, and like a decent amount of money. The ones I've been talking to by and large are just married. They're married. They're so married. All of them are married and none of them are having sex. And um, so that's, that's one demographic that I have encountered a lot. Um, and more than that, though, I actually wrote a piece on this recently. Like, I, they're not just undersexed, you know. They're really, they're underloved, and they don't, they don't get, and this is across the board for any of the, any of the, um, any person that I've dated through this site, and most people that I've dated, like, outside of the site, but sticking to the site, um, it's just men who feel like they've like succeeded in life you know they have the money they have the job they have the career whatever it is you know they have that but for whatever reason their emotional life is just lacking and I think I think it's just a natural impulse they buy everything else they're like well shit why can't I buy a connection so that made us wonder is it actually possible to buy a connection Caitlin Boguki our producer reached out to Brandon Wade 
He's the founder and CEO of SeekingArrangement.com, MissTravel.com, What'sYourPrice.com, and the company's newest site, OpenMinded.com. My primary goal with the website was to solve my own dating issues. And it has been extremely helpful. I was, I was the first member on the site. I've met countless of you know, beautiful women, um, you know, intelligent, open-minded. Um, and in the process, I have grown um, so much. My physical appearance has changed in, in the process because as I date um, these young women who have a much better sense of style and fashion than I do, they take me out shopping. Of course, I'm buying stuff for them, but at the same time, they're giving me lots of guidance as to how I could dress better and carry myself better. Um, and, and also in the process, I, I did get to meet a lot of beautiful women, and my confidence uh, in grown significantly over the years. So that, that, in my mind, is, is the biggest success story. Um, there are obviously countless of many other success stories. We hear from members every single week, every single day, telling us that in the process, uh, they found love. Um, a lot of the girls come to Seeking Arrangement because they have just you know, experienced a, a failed relationship. They're perhaps jaded. They think most men are losers. Um, and they come with a, with a much more open sort of mind uh, to be willing to see what's out there. And um, you know, I, I think as long as people are able to be clear about what they want and what they do not want, uh, and they're willing to send that message out there to the universe, to the world, either through their profile or through you know, their actions, they're bound to find what they want. Um, and uh, so I would say Seeking Arrangement um, you know, has, has certainly had quite a lot of success stories you know, to share in that sense. And there's no one simple solution. There's no one configuration that works for everyone. Um, what ultimately works is, as I said, you know, people who are open-minded, who are willing to sort of share and explore, because at the end of the day, uh, that's what living is all about. It's about being happy. It really is about being happy. And there's no doubt that generosity, companionship, and money can make people happy. But there are also risks. And they should be heavily considered before using any one of Brandon's sites. My last question is, do you have any advice for someone who's interested in becoming a sugar baby? Yeah. um, Be honest with yourself. Trust yourself. And understand that this is your business that you are running. I approached it initially with a lot of desperation. Like, I need money. I need money. I need money. And that just got me into shitty situations. So... If I could advise myself now, I'd be like, calm down, take your time, find people that treat you well, that you like. They're there. You just have to spend a little bit of time looking. So with that in mind, have you had any really negative experiences or or, or potentially dangerous experiences? I had had one. uh, I had one little semi-dangerous experience in Chicago where I thought that this guy was probably trying to kill me. Um, But, I mean, I could have easily met him off of OkCupid, too. Um, he, you know, scammed me and had me do some pretty kinky shit and, like, was, like, really interested in brainwashing me and having me, like, start a harem for him. Um, but other than that one, it's been pretty either just, like, mediocre, like, oh, you're kind of just a shitty person, or, like, pretty good. How did you remove yourself from that situation? Uh, from the scary situation, I just, he asked me to spend the night and after, like, we'd done whatever, and... I was like, no, I have to go home, and he was, like, really pushing it, but he let me go. I was like, okay, bye, and then I just never talked to him again. 
And and what what do you think was the take takeaway from it for you? I mean, did that inform inform your experience as a sugar baby going forward, or inform the choices that you made in terms of pursuing dates? That that experience didn't experience didn't do anything but um, keep me off the site for the rest of my time in Chicago. Um, once I moved to New York, I signed back up, and honestly, I didn't. I don't think I learned much from that negative experience at all. I. I didn't. I just, but um, I learned from others, you know, from others that were not negative. They were just sort of unsatisfying. And I realized that it's the same as any other relationship. You just have to be honest and upfront and know what you want. Because if you don't, then, you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, right? And that's why he got me to his house, even though he was fucking, fucking creepy. Because I was like, oh, well, this is probably why I was favorite sex, because he's fucking creepy. Like, no, that's why he was, like, trying to brainwash me, is because he was creepy. So, you know, I just learned to pay attention and, and listen in all relationships, in all situations, I guess. It was sort of a holistic change, not really just in one area. try and come into every episode and every topic we approach with as open of a mind as possible but with this one I think after talking to so many people and getting such a spectrum of opinions I kind of have a negative point of view on sugar dating and and how this industry is booming in general what makes you uncomfortable with it it just seems like a situation that's so ripe for coercion. It seems like a situation that is coercive. I mean, I don't I don't know how you can split those two up when it's I'll give you money or like we will literally commoditize this exchange of sex to something else and how that isn't kind of coercive, especially when it's in a long-term relationship and they're giving you something to be available for like a longer-term capacity. I think I, I'm even more comfortable with with sex work or with escorting where it's, you know, this is what we're doing and and this is what you're getting out of it. And that's the end of it, as opposed to having this open ended exchange where where's the line between like I say no to something and then this allowance or whatever is withholding. It just seems so paternalistic and problematic. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, when you bring the emotional side of something into play. I think you're right with sex work. So often it's cut and dry. You know what you're exchanging and what you're getting in exchange. I think when you start talking about emotions and, and deeper relationships, it gets a lot more uh, hairy, a lot more problematic. Um, and, and I don't want to take away the autonomy of, of these women or their choices, but I think that you're right. I think this gets romanticized. I think that people often don't have the full picture, and I, I think it can be really, really dangerous. I think it's so easy to fall into this pretty woman mentality where you think, you know, oh, I'm going to be a sugar baby, and I'm basically going to be Julia Roberts, but... You have to realize, like, even if that is you, not every sugar daddy is, is going to be Richard Gere. I also think probably you have to consider what it takes to become a sugar baby and then also what it takes to stop being a sugar baby. I think probably your relationship with, you know, yourself, your sexuality, your emotions, your finances, all that's going to change radically. And I don't know if everyone is prepared for that, especially when you just hear, oh, so many so many young girls are doing it now. So many college students are doing it. It's just an easy thing to get into. You can pay for your books that way. I think you really have to think before you jump into this kind of thing.
That's it for this episode of HuffPost Love and Sex. Thanks to our producer and editor, Caitlin Baguki, and production assistant, Jorge Corona. Please let us know what you think of the show, especially if you think it's awesome or want to go on a date with Noah. You'll find us on Twitter. It's at HuffPostPodcast. Our email address is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover our show, which makes you a really good person. And click those gold stars. If we get more of them, HuffPost has said they'll buy us a time machine. And maybe we can get a date with Richard Gere circa 1990. Our next show will be all about open relationships, an idea that came from one of our listeners. So please shoot us an email and the next topic we tackle might be all about you.